WPSL Port St. Lucie. It's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Smith and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're so glad you tuned into the show today. Thanks, Ray, for the intro. We appreciate that. Appreciate all those who are listening today and following us not only live on WPSL, but also on WPSL.com. We're glad you're there. This show is an hour live call-in show, so we'll be taking your calls, questions, comments for the next hour here on WPSL, and you're welcome to call in to We Are Just Christians. I'll give you the numbers in just a moment. Let me say a couple things first while you get a piece of paper and a pencil if you need to, uh, uh, if, if you need to um, write the numbers down, but well, it's good to have you, a pencil and piece of paper. You well, can write you the can scriptures write the, I started to say yes, and you can write the scriptures down too. Yes, thanks, Gary. But my name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the Church of Christ here on Savona Boulevard. And you just heard Gary Jones. How are you doing, Gary? <laughs> I'm here. Yeah, Gary's our partner in crime here, and we're, we're glad we can be with you each uh, Lord's Day on the air. And this show is about promoting a return to New Testament Christianity so that we can be just Christians. That's what this show is about. And so we're encouraging people to think in that regard, to learn about that. Uh, it's not just something you can say, oh, I want to do that. You have to actually take some steps to figure out what now needs to be done if I want to be just a Christian. That's what the show's about. And so we start with the premise that the Bible is the Word of God, and we're going to answer your calls, comments, and questions from that basis. The Bible is God's Word, and we can find the answers that we need there, not only for how, what the church should be doing, but what we should be doing as individuals. And so we're going to give you answers based on that. Now, we realize not everybody, I'm going to say, <laughs> pardon me, I knew I was going to sneeze, couldn't stop it, I apologize. And I don't have a sneeze button here, so. <laughs> In any event, uh, the we, we realize not everybody accepts that, prim, that premise or anything along those lines. But we're going to give you that as our starting point, and we'd be glad to discuss with you uh, why we believe that's true, or if you'd like to call in because you do not believe that the Bible is a sufficient guide for us and you have, uh, or, or that there is even a God, we'd love to talk to you, and we promise we're not going to abuse you or mock you or anything like that. That's not the purpose of this show, and it's not how we operate. So if you call in today, let me give you the numbers, and we'll get some ground rules. You can reach us today at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number to reach us here uh, on WPSL. We also have two text numbers. I have one. Gary has one. They're very similar. My number, Mike's number, is 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120. And Gary's number is similar, 772 Six two two six two two zero. Yeah, sorry, seven seven two two six zero six two two zero is Gary's number. So you can text us not only during the show. We'll try to respond if we can. We really appreciate that. It's an easy way for you to communicate. Uh, we can't always give long replies back because we're on the air, but you can also text us uh, any time during the week, uh, and some people do. So you can take advantage of that if you'd like to ask a question or uh, make a comment. Tell us where we're off track or give us some information about something to for a future show we'd really appreciate that if you would like i say and that's particularly true if you disagree with us we're not here just to drum up people to say oh I, you know boy, that's really good you know uh but on the other hand we do don't mind discussions uh, we do appreciate any kind comments but on the other hand if you disagree or think we're way off base how we approach things we'd love to hear about that so give us a call 772-340-1590 well, on the other hand, though, Mike, the, I, I believe there are people out there that that do believe that the Scripture is the inspired Word of God. And in John twelve forty eight, he says, "He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day." And that's that's why we're here. We're here for the word that Jesus spoke because that's what we will be facing in the final judgment. Yes. I you know, and that's that's a, a great point that we always try to emphasize here, that there is a judgment. We're going to be held accountable to the words and the scriptures. And that's why it's important that we use that as our guide to restore New Testament Christianity in the first, first century to be just a Christian and not 
the creeds and traditions of men that have been added on to that are human thinking, secular thinking, uh, on top of that, that can't ever save us or guide us properly. But, uh, you know, Gary, since I, we've, I've been doing things like this for now for 46 years or something like that, and um, I, I'm sure you said, well, the, the, maybe people that listen to the show believe some people believe that god the word of god is inspired and that's probably years ago would have been the vast majority of people that would listen to a show like this or anything along those lines but uh, the more time more time has gone by in my lifetime that's fewer and fewer people who believe that in one way or another i mean even the major denominations in the united States, christian denominations protestants don't believe that the bible is the inspired word of god and that it's sufficient and when you look at the Roman Catholic Church, they don't believe that the, that the Bible is sufficient to know what God wants. They very clearly state in all of their catechisms that it takes the Bible and tradition to know what to do. So, um, you know, those numbers have always been lower than we might imagine, but they're even lower today. And so uh, I'm not expecting that the people who listen to the show, now I don't know what the reaction is, maybe when this kind of show comes on the air, people who don't want to hear about the Bible or religious things just shut it off. That's possible. We try to make it interesting, and we give you the opportunity to call in to talk about these things so you can express your opinion about it. We'd be glad to hear from you. We're not trying to shut off discussion. We're not going to call you a name or anything like that. Um, Of course, we believe that you should follow the Scriptures and be a believer, but it doesn't mean that we think you're a bad person or we don't want to talk to you, or we're just going to bait you into, into getting on there and arguing with us. I have no interest in that. So we realize there are lots of people that may be listening to this show who are not, who do not like religion. They do not like the Bible. Now, I, you know, I take, maybe it's playing with words, Gary, but I take the things that we do here not as being somewhat, or, as so much organized religion, uh, although it involves a group because there's no superstructure over us. We're not part of some kind of hierarchy. We're following God's word. But that's a, you know, we can discuss that. Now, we got a, we got a text or two here um, from John. He says, what did inspired look like? Was it a trance? Was it auto-writing? Did they hear a voice? That's a good question. Uh, the, the, let me go and let me look this up here. Let me look up a, a passage well, I think uh, in in, in in John's case, uh, it was a vision, or it was at least in part in a vision. I think in Paul's case, he spoke of visions, but he just said uh, in Galatians, basically, he just says, "I received it from Jesus Christ." Now we don't know how, or exactly how. A lot but, of times you don't. That's right. Uh, but you know, uh, the prophet Joel says, "We'll dream dreams." I don't have any specific passage that I would cite that says any of the apostles received what they wrote as a result of a dream. I don't think that's No, that's I don't read that in the New Testament. Uh, what you see, and, and here's the thing. I will say this at the beginning because we'll probably get this. It's a big subject. The subject of inspiration is a huge subject. Uh, so I will say this, that the Bible does not seem to teach that everything written in the Bible was just somebody got smacked upside the head and went into a jerked into a trance and then they began to write uh, on the piece of paper without with God moving their fingers to write the words and when it was over they shook themselves oh what what happened you know where was I uh, the Bible doesn't picture that as the kind of thing that happened during inspiration and yet we do have cases where the spirit more or less takes control and tells them what to write He'll say, behold, write this, write that. He tells John, write these things down. Yes. Okay, So he's seeing a vision, but he's also told to write them down. Now, the apostles, well, let's just go back up a minute. Let me, I'm going to come back to the apostles. but And as a general statement, uh, uh, here. Well, there's a general statement in Galatians, I think, in in Galatians 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Christ, Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised 
him from the dead. Basically, he's he's citing them. Uh, I think in another place in Galatians, he says he didn't receive it from men. Right. Uh, right. So he he's telling you that the source of this is not my own thinking. Right. And it's, it's not it's, my own ideas. Right. It's it Galatians, outside of me. Galatians one twelve. He says, right. "For I neither received it from men, nor was I taught, taught it, it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus okay. Christ." So he's saying it's not something I studied and thought up, and now I'm cutting it down, and I got inspired to think these great thoughts. Paul is saying God gave this revelation to me, to my mind, and it could have used various means to do that. But this revelation, it, God put it in my mind. It's not mine. And he, he's saying I'm recognizing that I didn't think these thoughts of my own. Now, the statement I was thinking of is Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, where it says God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. So in the past, he says, here are the prophets. Prophet being a general term for someone who is a spokesman for God, a mouthpiece for God, and, uh, or a mouthpiece, and in particular a mouthpiece for God. He says he spoke to the fathers in the past, in Old Testament times, in, at various times and in various ways. There's no regular pattern of revelation once a week. You know, he wasn't speaking to the prophets once a week or twice a week or every day at various times and in various ways. So dreams, visions, trances, he spoke to them in all of these means. And they were able oftentimes to perform miracles or signs to prove that. But it says he spoke unto us in these last days, which we're living in the last days and have been since the first century. That's what this verse is telling us, by the way. I know that uh, the premillennials don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear that. But we've been in the last days since the first century. Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says here, I always say Paul. Seems to me like he wrote this. Probably didn't. Most likely didn't, but I always say Paul. Anyway, the writer of Hebrews says that in these last days he's spoken to us by his son. So we can't look. We aren't looking to some other source like Muhammad or Buddha to find the truth. We're looking to Jesus Christ. Now the question then becomes, how did Jesus speak to us? Well, we know that he appointed 12 men. His messengers or apostles. An apostle is literally the word is one who is sent with a message, and it meant sent with a message from a higher authority or a king. So here he appointed 12 apostolos, apostles, to carry this message and said to go to all the world and teach the gospel. He also said, he who rejects you rejects me. If anyone rejects you, I think it's Mark 10, he rejects me. And he, he told them, uh, that they would that these things would be accompanied in Mark 16 by signs and wonders. So when they spoke Christ's words, people could believe that it was it was uh, true because it was accompanied by them being able to do miracles. Paul called this the signs of an apostle to the Corinthians. They questioned his apostleship, and he said, "Well, didn't I come and work the signs of an apostle among you?" He proved to them that he had supernatural power through Christ, to not only to do a miracle, but the purpose of the miracle, Mark says in chapter 16, was to confirm the word that had been spoken. So the miracles weren't done just to show off or to, do, to heal somebody per se. They were done to confirm the word, okay? And so that's how Christ speaks to us today. So what we're doing when we read the Bible, we're reading, and there are other writers were inspired by God to do this to do these things, uh, men, men like, um, uh, well, I'm trying to think of it, Luke, who wrote the histories in the book of Acts right. and the book of Acts and so forth. Now, the point is that those men's work was confirmed at, at that time and, as it were, notarized by the signs that were done and by the witnesses to these signs. And then they were passed on to us. So when we have these words that's been spoken by the apostles and the other inspired writers, we have the words that Christ said he was going to leave. John 16, I have many things to say to you, but I cannot tell you now. But after I'm gone, I'll send the Holy Spirit or the comfort to you, and he will guide you into all truth. That wasn't spoken to each one of us individually. That was spoken to the apostles. 
Well, in, who in, are God into all truth. In John fourteen twenty six, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. Yeah, so, so that's what happened later on after Christ went back and was taken back up into heaven. There, is, there was a, a accounting made to the apostles of what Christ wanted them to know. That was revealed over a period of years. That revelation was closed with the book of Revelation late in the first century. And it's complete. And he tells them, don't believe anything else. Even if an angel comes and tells you something different, don't believe it. So when today people come along and they say that, they say that they're inspired or they're an apostle so-and-so, my first reaction is say, so show me. Show me the works of an apostle. Show me the signs of an apostle. Show me the signs that follow this before I can believe you. Well, Peter says in Second Peter 1, he says, uh, I believe it's in verse 19, and so we have the prophet's word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's basically the same thing Jesus said. Right. Well, now, there's two, two other things. Uh, John checks back in later. Too many people think the King James Bible fell out of the sky. Well, now, that's going to get another subject, but the King James translation, which we can do. But I think that's the point I would take from that is that there's a process by which we have today received this word. It involves human beings. And people, oh, why'd God do that? Well, there's just no possible way for God to do it any other way. There's no way that God could have revealed his will to man in a way that's any more believable than what he did, any more reliable than what he did. Because no matter what method God chose chose to reveal his word by, it wouldn't be good enough for some people. And there's always, because humans are dealing with it, a chance for some kind of error or corruption. The question is, part of the question and reason that I believe that these books are inspired that we do have is that from the very beginning, these books that we do have were preserved by the people that received them because they knew where they came from. We may not be able to ascertain that exactly, but they knew. And that's why they preserved these books that we have and discarded others, even though they were written at the same time. They had the evidence that the, the right person wrote it they had seen Paul's autograph and his writing or other writing on this, so they were able to preserve it. Even the, even the Jews of antiquity in the Old Testament times knew which books to preserve and which books not to preserve. That's why the Jews rejected the books that we call the Apocrypha, even though the Catholic Church accepts them. The Jews kept those books. They had them, but they never considered them to be inspired by the prophets or by Moses, and so they did not put them in the list of books that they considered scripture or holy writing. And so that was done because the people at the time understood where they came from. So yes, that's uh that's why and I don't think the King James version is inspired of God. And I can the, prove the translators why that's are, not true. The translators are not inspired. We 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 could say that to some degree the original texts are, but even though we don't have the original text, we know we have accurate copies. Yes, we have so many copies in so many different languages and, and various times. We know we can reproduce the New Testament with accuracy of 98, 99% with that, with very, maybe more than that, with very few real well, discrepancies on unimportant textual matters. Well, as far as we know his, that we can reproduce As far as it. historical documents go, the New Testament and the Old Testament are the most documented and the most certain that we have the original text of anything that's out there, Mike. Yes. Now, um, Jerry's on the phone, but I want to make this point first because John texted it in first. He, he'd make this comment. A painter can stare at a blank canvas for weeks and all of a sudden get an inspiration. All right, now I, wanna, I think that what that moves me to do is to make a distinction between the way we commonly use the word inspiration and the, wor- the way that uh, it's used in the Bible, or what, the way we're using it today. Um, inspiration is not, oh, I got a great idea, a little light bulb goes off in my head. That's not, how, that's not what the word means. The word, uh, the word in the Bible, in the New Testament, where it says all Scripture is inspired of God, 2 Timothy 3.16. That word there literally, is strangely enough, is exhaled 
breathed out by God. The scripture was breathed out by God. Now, we look at it as inspired. We're looking at it from the other end, that God breathed into it and put his stamp of approval on these words. But inspiration in the Bible doesn't mean somebody had a brilliant idea and wrote it down. We use it that way in our language, but that, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that God, on some level, controlled the words that were being spoken. They were being spoken to a specific person at a specific time, and the words were given accurately to that person. They wrote it down and preserved it for us. But Paul even how, says this in Ephesians 3, I wrote these things down that this, have been revealed to me. This is the definition of that inspired, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That word moved means carried along like a branch in a stream. Right. Car- carried along. That's, that's the inspiration that we're talking right, about. Right, not, not inspiration for uh, painting. And now I'm not saying you're wrong to use that word, but it's like the word miracle. Uh, we say, oh, well, this is a miracle, that's a miracle, you know. If the Dolphins win a game, it's going to be a miracle. Well, it, we may be using it to mean something unexpected and surprising we haven't seen before, but the Bible used the word miracle in a much different way. We, we way often we use, use something it. that really is uh, statistically unlikely. Yes, that's a miracle. That's or a miracle. something that's amazing for us to see, like the birth of a baby. That's not how the Bible uses the word. That may be the way we use it. But let's don't mix those definitions up and put our cultural usage of a word like miracle and inspiration back on what the Bible says about them. Let's be careful how we do that. All right, we're going to go to the phones. Uh, Gary, uh, Jerry, how are you doing, Jerry? Well, a lot of people, uh, things have changed uh, in society. human society has changed a lot in the last few hundred years. Uh, and Jerry brings up a point that is a point of that shows this change to some degree, and it strangely enough it it shows not only the influence of Christianity but other factors at work. I guess the feudal system had it, it what came was in place in the Middle Ages in Europe, where a, a master or lord over an area who owned the land or at least controlled an area would, um, uh, you know, he, he was the master. All those around him, he leased out the land to them. Uh, he provided services for them, and they were his servants, as it were. And that's where this system in England, uh, the Lord, his lordship is, and all that kind of stuff. Now, the feudal system... We've had some technical difficulties with We Are Just Christians, but uh, we seem to have cleared that up. So let's return to uh, Savona Church with your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Hi, guys. How you doing? How you Sorry doing? about that, folks. So I have no idea what happened. I, I think that the Internet just kind of died on us. Started I, I, from from our end, we always sound just great, don't we, Gary? But, <laughs> right. <laughs> but from your end, apparently it was breaking up and so forth. Somebody texted me. We were talking about a call that from Jerry about the feudal system and the caste system. Uh, the feudal system was in place mostly in Europe, uh, and probably started to some degree in in Roman times. As someone text in texted in that people would uh, you know certain people own masses of land. The ordinary people couldn't own the land. They would simply farm it, pay, pay back tribute to the owners, and so forth. So then you had this class system develop of, ma- of lords and commoners, as it was in England and so forth. It didn't work very well in the long run. One, some of the great reforms that have taken place took place where, where ordinary people were allowed to own land. In fact, this is a side point. Don't let me get too far in this, Gary, but I think in the United States, I think the Homestead Act, which allowed people to go out west and buy land or have get free land was one of the great things that created so much prosperity and freedom in the United States of America, where not just a few people owned the land. Now, we may be moving back toward the other. It always reverts back a little bit. But then you have this. Uh, so that was a system that had built in unfairness in it. Now, from the standpoint of the Bible, there are many, many laws in the Old Testament it regulated the control of the land. In fact, every 50 years, the land reverted back to its original owners that came out of, out of Egypt and were given land as an inheritance under Joshua and Caleb. And the land reverted back to those original families. So there was not the ability, or shouldn't have been if they had kept the law, 
to people to accumulate lands unjustly or in, per, in perpetuity large tracts of land that nobody else could use and then charge people to live on it and farm on it and essentially keep them poor. Now, the feudal system gave way after the Protestant Reformation to a lot more of an independent way of doing things in Europe over time. And it was a, the Protestant Reformation, and some, there's a dis- disagreement about this, whether the Reformation led to the Enlightenment or the Enlightenment led to the, revel- to the uh, uh, Reformation. Reformation, the Enlightenment's the idea that, that all men are, as it were, are essentially created equal and all have equal rights. That's where a lot of the stuff from our Constitution comes from. And that man could think for himself and he didn't have to uh, follow the dictates and traditions of the church. There's a lot of things about the Enlightenment, some of them good, some of them bad. But the Reformation began to change this. And in Europe then, uh, beginning in the late Middle Ages, I'm going to say even down in the 1200s, you have the, you have the Magna Carta. You have other documents being written. The people rebelled against the king and, and began, slowly things began to change. Now, the cat, the cat, but I still, this is one of the big differences between, historically, between British society and American society. And that is that in Britain, this system of lords and commoners still is in existence to a large degree. That there are lords over lands and estates, and these people have a more God-given right to rule and all those kind of things. I think that idea still persists in England as best that I can see from watching and reading. Not anywhere near like it did, of course, a couple hundred years ago, but it still persists. In the United States... That is one of the fundamental ideas that was rejected at the founding of our country, that there was a class system in place, that some people were by nature better than other people and deserved land and houses and independence. All men were allowed to be free if they, if they could. Uh, and so uh, well, now we're going to lay aside the issue, <laughs> issue of slavery for a moment. Uh, and, and that sin has, I think, since been at least attempted whatever way we can to correct that. But the whole system is based on the independence coming out of the ideas of the Reformation that human beings have a right, for example, to take God's Word, the Bible, and read it. They don't have to depend upon a priest to tell them what it means. They don't depend upon their betters to tell them how they're going to live. And the Reformation is kind of based on that. And then it began, this idea began to take root in people's minds and hearts, almost to a, to a bad degree to some in some ways, because then it led people away from God. And there's still a lot of scholars, especially Catholic scholars, who really attack the Enlightenment and any, in many of these ideas because they think it helped to ruin the influence of the Catholic Church. And they're right. Uh, as long as there's a system that says only the priest can properly interpret the word, only the church has the right to interpret the Bible and to read it, uh, now you're going to have a caste system. Those who know, can know the Bible and those who can't those who should do what they're told, and those who can tell them what to do. Now, American society has rejected those ideas. Just like everything else, Gary, in the world, there's a good side and a bad side to everything. There's negative consequences to everything that can be done and uh, can, can be done in the world that we live in, and we have to accept that fact. Now, the caste system, and I can see why Jerry would relate these two, but in a just in a nutshell, I think it's, it, it's a little different, but it comes, once again, out of religious roots. Um, the caste system comes from the law of karma, as, as it's understood, as I understand it, which is what the Hindus and Buddhists believe is what controls the universe. And it's a complex thing, but essentially what it, what it says is that everything happens and it deserves to happen that way. What is is good, it says. See, the Bible doesn't say that what is, is good. The Bible says that what God made in the beginning was good, but doesn't say that what is now is good. Okay. But Hinduism says what, whatever is, is good. And so if you're born rich, then that's what was intended to happen, intended to be that way. If you're born poor or with leprosy or some other disease or crippled or blind, that's what the universe intended for you. And to fight against that is wrong, to try to struggle against that. So Hinduism and Buddhism are about coming to terms and being at peace with the way things are, 
and learning not to strive and 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 struggle against the way things are, but to accept your position. And it and from that developed a society, a highly stratified society in India and other places, of the untouchables at the bottom, and then some intermediate castes, and then the the ones who are the the best at the top. These ones at the at, at the top that control all society. They, the top ones of those even become kind of demigods on earth. And the ones at the bottom, the masses of the poor living in India, this was especially true in the past, are thought to really deserve to be there. And so there, there was resistance to charity work by the English in India from the Hindus because you're undoing what karma intended to be in place. And so the American system, though, says, well, if you're poor... Get up, get to work. It's a Protestant ethic. The United States is basically founded upon a Protestant understanding of the world. Get up, do hard work, do what God says, obey God, and things will be better for you. And you can move. And within. you can change position in society, right? right? Well, now, we've so grown up to, with that. Now, that idea is rejected by a lot, a lot of people in the world, fundamentally, in this caste system, is a reflection of that. Well, Jerry, ask a little bit about timeline. You're just scanning the material. That's, I haven't studied this in, in detail, but just scanning the material that's come up is this this did arose from the collapse of the Roman Empire, at least in Europe, Northern Europe and, and Western Europe. And basically it, it came about because these people that were under control, controlled areas of the Roman Empire when it collapsed, basically the power was given to them that they owned all the land. So this king that came out of that period of time, right after the collapse of the Roman Empire, owned the land, and he right. could then assign it to his kind of like the federal supporters. government today. Yeah, it's, it's we're it, getting it's back kind of, to that. It's kind, today. Of, kind yeah. of scary the yeah, way it Yeah, we're goes. getting back. They own the land. They tell you what to do with it, and so yes, you know. and and actually the term feudalism and that didn't didn't really occur. The etymology of that didn't come up until around fourteen hundred. Right. So, but it, it's a very similar kind of system, even though it was placed right. in Roman Empire many, in many right. provinces. And, and uh, yes, and so the feudal system and the caste system developed in some ways independently of each other. Now, you know, Gary, I, I think the reason this is true, even from different perspectives of, rel- of religions and other historical cultures, is because when you look at the world, you see some people are what they are. They never do any better. They're just kind of stuck where they are. And it's almost like you can see, well, they almost deserve to be where they are because of what they do and how they live and how they act. I call it other I, people are more noble and, you know, so forth. I call it IDD. What's that? Initiative deficit yeah, disorder. Yeah. Now, see, that's an American viewpoint <laughs> right. uh, of that to this problem. But we can see this and we can even see, even though I don't believe in total retard depravity, that some people just seem to be uh, pretty pretty bad when they're young, and uh, you see it, it passed down through generations in their families. And that's where these ideas come from, and they're universal. We see it all around us. The Bible speaks to some of these issues. But, but the, the Bible does not connect poverty with evil, and it doesn't connect being rich with being saved, necessarily. Although often or, or the people being did, good or, or being, being good. Are being, you know, basically pleasing in God's sight. It's That's funny how not, people today they want to praise the poor and attack the rich, but they all want to be rich. It's an odd thing because it just it just speaks to our confused, envious nature, culture that we have. But uh, that that's the, the 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 thing that's happened here. You have to decide whether it's a good thing that to believe, and for society and for as Christians to believe that. Each man is responsible for himself and that they can better themselves physically in life and in their their station by the things that they do. And society should not only allow that, but promote that kind of general equality. Or whether it's better to have a system of lords and rulers and kings over people to tell them what to do. One of the things that's going on in American society today, at least from many people's perspective, what has happened in the last you know, few couple of generations is that a class of people has arisen on the either coast 
that has determined consciously or unconsciously to be the elite and the rulers over the rest of the United States. They're going to tell us what we ought to believe, where we ought to go, what's good for us, what's bad for us, everything about this. They're going to determine all these things for us because they're our betters. They know more. They're educated. They went to Harvard and Yale. They're better than we are. And that's kind of that's what this fight is about that's going on in the United States right now, essentially. It's a fight over this idea. Is there going to be a caste system of the elites and the non-elites in the United States? And where you went to school determines everything about your outcome of your life. Who you know determines everything about the outcome of your life. Or are we going to have a little more of a balanced society? That's all from a political perspective. And, that, and that's basically when you say, well, we're, we're going socialism or maybe towards communism. Basically, that's the result of communism. The feudal system was the ultimate communism system. Well, sure it is, because you st- if you have a few – in practical terms, you can say everybody's going to be equal, but somebody has to rule them all. And a few elite people in, the com- in communist countries, it's always a few elite people controlling the economics and everything else about the lives and of the all wealth. the rest of the people. And the wealth. You're, you're either in the party and you're a big shot in the party or you're not. And so it goes right. It's much more of a feudalistic and unjust system than the one that it's trying purportedly to replace. Okay, that's the way it works. That's not the way it's presented to people. Okay? No, but that's what's actually happening. That's it's what just like, happens. It's just like uh, so many so-called capitalists in this country. Uh, they they want to rule everybody's life by by their power and not let people be free to make their own decisions. I mean, we see it down every every little level in society, but um, these big sweeping things in human culture, uh, the the Bible addresses these things in this way. It, it's the Bible addresses doesn't say, oh, the feudal system is bad, the caste system is bad. Uh, capitalism is good. The Bible doesn't say those things directly. What it tells me is that Paul said in whatever state he was in, he learned to be content. It tells me if you read Colossians 3 and Ephesians chapter 6, you see if you're a servant, you need to do these things morally. You need to behave a certain way and not have, it's more concerned with the affairs of the heart and individual, I would call it granular action and big political sweeping movements. It's so you it. do what's right. If you're a master, you treat your slaves and those underneath you that you have authority over with fairness and equality because you have a master over you. And, and basically, Mike, what it, what it amounts to is, in general, Jesus is teaching us how to deal with each other. He's teaching us how to deal with other people. Right. Who is our neighbor? Who is not our neighbor? Right. What, it's what, more granular. You know, you know what, what we should be doing. The point is... You know, the capitalist system has problems when men are not moral. If you follow exactly. the Christian when morality. Just simply envy and greed, they're right. not, it's not going to work out very well. Right. And so if we would follow what the Christian morality system, the system, the capitalist system works very well. I think the, I think the system that says every man is responsible to better himself and responsible for his own affairs is a better system that says a man's betters are responsible for his affairs and he's underneath somebody else's thumb. That's just obviously a better system. And and here's one way I might know that from the book of Philemon, Paul addresses a man named Philemon who was apparently a a higher up in society owned slaves. One of his slaves escaped, made his way to Rome. Paul met this man named Onesimus and he converted Onesimus to Christianity and instructed. Here's the paradox of the book. Paul instructs Onesimus to go back to his master because that's what's legal and right for him to do. He and broke the him. law. And serve and, him, and not, to serve with him serv- well. not with eye right. service, but as he should. And but but he also but he sent this letter. Onesimus carried probably a sealed letter back. And he went back as Paul instructed him under God's direction. And when when his master Philemon opened the letter, the letter said, I'm giving you this man back. He once was your slave. Now he's your brother, and I want you to treat him well and respect and honor him. And so, and I think he's implying set him free because you've been set free by my preaching. You've been set free from your sins as a Roman. You've been set free 
from your sin. Now you set this man free. But regardless of that, he was to treat him responsibly with respect. And right, as, as an equal man, as a man equal to him in the sight of God. Now this kind of thing was what began to change society. The big things like that we worry about, we think we can get by marching on the street, uh, they happen in a more uh, in a more basic way, as you refer to the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so the letter to Anesim, uh, to uh, the letter of Philemon in the Bible is a very interesting one for our time. And what it is saying there is that this system that divides men up and says some men are better than others, some men deserve to be poor or slaves, and some men don't, is wrong. It doesn't say that you can't be in service to somebody else, but if you are, you need to serve them well. And if the, if you have ones who serve you, you treat them well. And uh, yeah, John says, I was wondering what happened when he came back. We just don't have any way to know, as you say. We don't know what ha- actually happened with Philemon and Onesimus. But we do know what was what Paul's thinking was from the Holy Spirit about that. And I think that letter, strange, even though it, some people say, well, it condones slavery. Well, Paul wasn't going to overthrow slavery uh, overnight in well, the Roman I, world. You know, I would, the I would most be, of the people there were slaves. I would be careful what we say about slavery because in a certain, in a certain, Onesimus was going back to him voluntarily. Paul says when he opens his letter, I am a what? Bond servant of Jesus yeah. Christ. You have to understand the nature of it. We have to understand we are bond servants of Jesus Christ. By choice, certainly, but still bond servants. Well, to be bond called table. a bond servant, Paul wasn't, Paul wasn't praising him. He wasn't giving himself a congratulatory pat on the back for being a bond servant. That no, was, but he was, was saying, was this, is my, shame. this is my relationship this is to Christ. Now, and, and so I, I'm, I'm going to be very careful about what I say about that, because basically God is a slaveholder, albeit a voluntarily situation, but still that. Yes, but God sets his servants free. Because he bought and paid for us with his blood. So uh, I don't think that performs a justification for for human slavery. And I don't don't think that, I think the book of Philemon was in its own own cultural way a real problem over time for the Roman Empire because Christians had this idea. Yes, in Christ, I can be free. And they don't want that. They want these, they want the people to realize or think that they are uh, not free, that they're not able to control their own destiny. And that's where the caste system comes into play. And that people aren't, people just don't rebel. People don't stand up for themselves in many of these countries because they're used to being taught that they deserve to be where they are, and um, it's God's will that they're where they are. But basically, Mike, what we're running into is that's what we're heading back into with socialism and communism. We're running into that loss of that freedom. Paul Paul basically makes a point. He says, if, if you're going to, we say, you know, we're going to go here and, and buy and sell and get gain. And what we really should say is the Lord, if the Lord wills, we'll do these things. We have freedom within what God grants us. Well, in the end, a person can be, be, be evil and condemned under capitalism as well as communism. Right. And, and they can serve God well, whether a slave or whether free. So that's the important issue. Now, as to whether God intended for some men to be permanent slaves in service to other people against their will, I think it's pretty clear from the beginning. He didn't create man in that situation. Slavery came about as a result of evil in the world, not as a result of good. And now, basically uh, he world. regulates it in the Old Testament. He declares some, some means of acquiring slaves as being you know, illegal, so to speak, and other means— Basically, well, man steal, a yeah. man-stealer was one of the things that was condemned, worthy of death. Right, right. And that's where a lot of slavery right, comes from. Slavery, that's what's going on today. That's where the slavery came from in the United States. People kidnapped people and made them slaves. And, and that's different even than indentured servitude. But of course, anybody can misuse any of those things once they have power. What Christianity does is gets to the heart of the matter and says, what are you going to do with the power that you have over other people? What are you going to do yes. with that? And, and so it challenges both the, both the slave, it challenges both Philemon and Onesimus to do what's right. Now, uh, John texted in, the centurion loved his slave enough to seek out Jesus to heal him. 
meant here. And that's exactly right. So slavery wasn't all about chains and whips, even, even, in, the old, even in the old world. Well, even the and, and Now, that may have been what a, a lot of American slavery was about, but that's not what slavery's been in Bible yeah, times necessarily. It amazes me, even when the centurion talked to Jesus, he said, I am myself under authority. Basically, he's basically he saying, I'm under, I'm under other people. I, I'm, I have them. They tell me what to do, and I go do it. Uh, and so he likened that. The attitude that made slavery in the Old, in the Old Testament and, Bible and New Testament times and all the way down in our history, in our time, uh, in the modern times, Civil War times, the attitude that made it destructive, most of all to me, pernicious and poisonous, was the idea that you somehow one race or kind of man was better by nature than another, whether it was a Roman as he looked at the Jews or a Roman as he looked at the Greeks or other people, or whether it was a, a white person who looked at a black person or an Englishman who looked at an Indian. That's the idea, the pernicious idea that, of, uh, that one man is better than another because of his stature, race, culture, whatever it may be, language. That makes it poisonous. That, that allows the mistreatment and the injustice to creep in. But when there were service from one man to another because of debts and other obligations, and yet there was a view, a view that this man is equal to me, even though he's my servant, you don't find that kind of pernicious abuse going on. Well, as a matter that's of what fact, a lot of indentured servitude was. The circumstances you see in the New Testament are mostly economic, I believe, when you get to it. They're not racial in nature. Well, I, I don't know. That, I don't know. There was a lot of that. But they enslaved these other people because they thought they were inferior to them a lot of the time. I'm and just, they treated I'm just them that pointing way. out the examples the bar, bar, that are barbarians. Now, now, when you go back even further, go back in the Old Testament, and you see Laban and Jacob. If I haven't got my characters confused, uh, he wants this daughter of his. So Laban says, work for me seven years. And then he has to work for him another seven years because he cheated him. Uh, you see this kind of greed on the part of Laban and mistreatment, injustice. It never leads to anything good. Uh, in, in even in Bible times, now, he was a kind of slave. He was indentured to pay off a debt because he had been given a wife, and he couldn't just leave if he wanted to. And um, he became kind of a servant, but it wasn't the kind of well we call it chattel slavery, where one man owns another man. That's where you get the idea that you can own other people as a piece of property is almost always going to be accompanied in your own heart with the idea they're not the same as me. They're, they deserve to be underneath me. They're not, they're not the same. The Bible is saying if a man owned a slave, that he had to view that person as equal to him, and he couldn't treat them just any old way because he also has a master. That's right. not the same as chattel slavery. Even though you might be called a slave, that person could not be viewed as the same as a piece of property by you. And Old Testament, even though it recognizes the rights of people who owned servants or slaves in certain circumstances, tells you this person is an equal human being to you. Very clear in the Old Testament how God told, tells you to view those people. And you can't just do whatever you want to with them because they're your servants. They even have spiritual rights to worship and things like that. So um, it's a big issue, complex issue uh, in that case. But uh, this is the this is the difference between a caste system and the system that we live under. Uh, I would call either democratic or a system that all men are equal in our society. Now, the thing that people have misunderstood today, and that younger generation, well, people have always misunderstood to Gary, is that equal doesn't mean equal outcome. It doesn't mean everything is going to be the same for everybody. It means equal before the law. Yeah, before the law, and they're not to be treated differently because they're they're a lord or a commoner. You know, or they're this or they're that. Which the unfortunate part is we're trying to make it an equal outcome and not treating and, and everyone will, equal before the law. Yeah, and that will never work. The only, way to get an e the only way to get an equal outcome is to treat some people unequal before the law. And yes. that's against what the American principles are. And I think it's against the Bible. Treat, uh, the Bible picture of justice, I just went over some of that with you, that there should be e – and the Bible is clear that if a man is rich or poor and, and talks about – got some sermons on our website – weirdestchristians.com 
about the Bible and the Constitution, maybe two years ago, two now, just type in Constitution in the search bar on the website, wearejustchristians.com, and it'll bring up two or three sermons I did on the Bible and the Constitution. And I go over there in detail the laws in the Old Testament that show that it was a death penalty to treat a person in a trial differently because they were poor. And it also warns that if a person is rich, you can't change your testimony or treat them differently because they're rich in the justice system that God established. Now, we tend to do one or the other. We have calls for one or both to happen. Uh, the, The crimes of the poor are to be excused. The crimes of the rich are to be punished. We've come out of periods of history where the crimes of the or rich are ignored. Versa. It's uh, the crimes of the rich are ignored. The crimes of the poor are exaggerated. Yes. And 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 God's very clear about this in the Old Testament laws. And I don't think He means anything different in what He says to masters and servants in the New and magistrates and people who are God's servants. He says that magistrates are my servants. They're to carry out my will and avenge injustice. And that certainly would mean that they're supposed to treat the poor and the rich alike. Now, our our justice system was based on that principle and designed to do that. I'm not going to sit here and argue that it does all the time. But it's certainly better than a system in many countries that's based on a caste system or even a feudal understanding of justice, where the lords go in with the presumption that they're better than the others. We're getting there, though, and that's what bothers me so much. <clears throat> We got two minutes left, Gary. Wrap well, this one up so we can close around. I'd here. just like to say, go read Matthew twenty-five, verse fourteen through about twenty-eight, before I lose my voice. <clears throat> That's the parable of the talents, and it'll give you this idea of basically capability versus outcome. That's the story that Jesus gives. These three men did not have the same capability. And their outcome was not the same, but they were treated equally in the responsibilities, basically, according to their talents that God gave them. Right, right. That's that's the point of the story. And that's Matthew 25, verse 14 through about 28, if you read that. Jot that down, go read it. Yes. Well, I appreciate all those who called in today. Uh, and, and, you know, I had stuff set out here, and I love it when this happens. But I had stuff set out here to talk about. We get a text or two at the beginning of the show. Show goes off in that direction. And I love it when that happens. And so we'll come back to the other stuff. So we we talked about inspiration today, and I appreciate that question. We need to do some more about that. Yes, and, I think we need to talk about inspiration thank Jerry for and, calling. What, and what the Bible, how we got the Bible, Mike. I think that would be a good thing. Yes. Uh, so we want to point you to our website that I mentioned a moment ago, wearejustchristians.com. Take a look at that for information about the church and resources. We'd also like to invite you to worship with us this morning at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. And we meet at 10, 11, and then 7.30 on Wednesday night. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie.